Hey, this is Todd coming to you from the uh, Sports Library and Spirituality in Verona, Wisconsin. And I just want to say thank you to, to Anchor and Spotify for the, uh, the chance to be, the chance to have a podcast. And I would like to also say thank you to the listeners, too. Thank you. It's Todd coming to you from the uh, Sports and Spirituality Library here in Verona, Wisconsin, in my apartment. And I'm going to read a uh, very story from Experience, Strength, and Hope book of the first three editions of Alcoholics Anonymous. And its copyright date is oh, 2003, I believe. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of these. It's, it's a good book, and it's books that were uh, stories that were, had to be moved around for and moved out to get a new circulation in 2003, and uh, it's the copyright date. Um, but that's what ha- that's what happened with a lot of these stories, and they get well, they get they get elbowed out, and then they have to come back, and they can bring them back as uh, in a whole big book like this. It's a great book. Stories from the first three editions of Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, there's some great, great fine stuff in here too. That's a wonderful, wonderful little, uh, wonderful little magazine too. So when I was when I was graduated, it's called the Backslider. And when I was graduated from high school, the World War was on in full blast. Too young for the army, but old enough to a man of machine. For the production of the means of the wholesale destruction. I became a machine hand at way high wages. Machinery appealed to me anyway, because I had always wanted to be a mechanical engineer. Keen to learn as many different operations as possible. I insisted on being Transferred from one operation to another until I had a good practical knowledge of all machines in a standard machine shop. With that equipment, I was ready to travel for broader experience and in seven years I had worked in the leading industry industrial centers in the eastern states, supplementing my shop work with night classes in marine engineering. I had the good times of the period, but confined my drinking to the weekends with an occasional party after work in the mean evenings. But I was unsettled and dissatisfied and in a sense disgusted with going from job to job and achieving nothing more than a weekly pay and envelope. I wasn't particularly interested in making a lot of money, but I wanted to be comfortable and independent as soon as possible. So I married at the time, and for a while, it seemed that I had found a solution to my urge for moving around. Most people settle down when they marry, and I thought I'd have the same experience, that my wife and I would choose a a place where we could establish a home and bring up a family. 
I had the dream of wearing carpet slippers in a life of comparative ease by the time I was 40. It didn't work out that way. After the newness of my of being married, I had worn off a little. The old wonder, the old wonder business got me again. 1924, I brought my wife to a growing city in the Middle West, where work, where work was always plentiful. I had been in and out of it several times before, and I could always get a job in the engineering department of its largest industrial plant. I early acquired the spirit of the organization, which had a real reputation for being constructive education of its workers. It encouraged ambition and aided latent, latent talent to develop. I was keen about my work and strove always to place myself in line for promotion. I had a thorough knowledge of the what mechanical needs of the plant. And when I was offered a job in the purchasing department, mechanical section, I took it. We were now resident in sort of a worker's paradise, a beautifully landscaped division where employers, where employees were encouraged to buy homes from the company. We had a boy and two years, about two years after I had started with the uh, company with his, his advent, I began to take marriage seriously. My boy was going to have the best I could give him. He would never have to work through the years as I had done. We had a very nice circle of acquaintance where we lived. Nice neighbors and my colleagues in the engineering department and later in purchasing were good people. Many of them bent on getting ahead and enjoying the good things of life while they climbed. We had a nice, we had nice parties with very little drinking, just enough to give a little Saturday night goals of things, enough to get beyond control. Fateful and fatal came to the months came to the month of October in the year 1929. Work slowed down, reassuring statements from financial leaders maintained our confidence that industries would soon be on even kill again. But the boat kept rocking. In our organization, as in many others, the purchasing department found its way lessened by executive order. Personnel was cut down. Those who were left went around working furiously at whatever there was to do, looking furtively at each other, wondering wondering who would be next to go. I wondered if the long hours of deep of the overtime with no pay would be recognized in the cutting in cutting down the program. I lay awake on lots of nights, just like any other man who sees what he has built up threatened with destruction. I was laid off. I took it hard, for I had been doing a good job, and I thought as a man often will that it might have been somebody else who should get the axe. Yet there was a sense of relief. It had happened and partly through resentment and partly from a sense of freedom. 
I went out and got pretty well intoxicated. I stayed drunk for three days. Something very unusual for me. We had a very seldom lost a day's work for drinking. My experience soon helped me to a fairly important job in the engineering department of another company. My work took me out of town quite a bit. Never at any great distance from home, but frequently overnight. Sometimes I would have to report sometimes I wouldn't have to report at the office for a whole week. But I was always in touch by the phone. In a way, I was practically my own boss being away from office discipline. I was an easy victim to temptation. And temptation certainly existed. I had a wide acquaintance among the vendors to our company who liked me. They were very friendly. At first, I turned down the uh, countless offers I had to take a drink. But it wasn't long before I was taking plenty. I'd get back into town after a trip, pretty well organized from any days imbibing. It was only a step from his daily drinking to successive hours with absence from my route. I went phone, and my chief couldn't tell from my voice whether I had been drinking or not. But gradually learned of my escapades warned me of the consequences to myself and my job. Finally, one of my lapses impaired my efficiency and some pressure was brought to bear on the chief. He let me go. That was in 1932. I found myself back exactly where I had started when I came to town. I was still a good mechanic and always could get a job as an hourly rated machine operator. This time, this seemed to be the only thing which was offered, and once I, once more, I discarded the white collar for the overalls and canvas gloves. I had spent more than a half a dozen good years and had got exactly nowhere. So I did my first real serious drinking. I was good for at least 10 days or two weeks off every two months, and I worked. Getting drunk and half-heartedly sobering up. This went on for almost three years. My wife did the best she could to help me at first, but eventually lost patience and gave up trying to do anything with me at all. I was thrown into one hospital after another, got sobered up, discharged, ready for another hour, ready for another bout. What money I had saved dwindled, and I turned down everything I had into cash to keep on drinking. In one hospital, a Catholic institution, one of the sisters had talked religion to me and had brought a priest in to see me. Both were sorry for me and assured me I would find relief in Mother Church. I wanted none of it. If I could stop drinking on my own free, well, I was certainly not going to drag God into it, I thought. During another hospital stay, a minister whom I liked and respected came to see me. For me, it was just another non-alcoholic who was able to even I was unable even by the added benefit or the authority and authority of the cloth to do anything for an alcoholic. I sat down one day to figure things out. I was no good to myself, my wife, or my growing boy. 
and thinking I had even affected him. I think I had drink, oh, my drinking had even affected him. He was nervous, ir- irritated, irritable child. Getting along badly at school, making poor grades because the father he knew was a sot and an unpredictable one. My insurance was sufficient to take care of my wife and child for a fresh start by themselves. And I decided that I should simply move out of the world for good. I took a killing dose of bichloride of mercury. They rushed me to the hospital. The, the emergency physicians applied immediate remedies, but shook their heads. There wasn't a chance, they said, and for the day it was touch and go. One day the chief resident physician came in on his daily rounds. He had often seen me there before my alcohol, before alcoholism. Standing at my bedside, he showed he showed more than professional interest. Tried to buoy me up with the desire to live. He asked me if I really would like to quit drinking and have another try at living. One clings to life, no matter how miserable. I told him I would, and I would try again. He said he was going to send another doctor to see me, to help me. The doctor came and sat beside my bed. He tried to cheer me up about my future, pointed out I was still a young man with the world to, to, to lick, and insisted that I could do it if I really wanted to stop drinking. Without telling me what it was, he said he had an answer to my problem and condition that really worked. Then he told me very simply the story of his own life. A life of generous, life of generous tippling after professional hours and beer for more than three decades until he had lost almost everything a man can lose. How he had found and applied the remedy that with complete success, he felt sure I could do the same. Day after day, he called on me in the hospital and spent hours talking to me. All right. Well, what I'm seeing is that, you know, there's, there's another story too, you know, it's in a big book about pet, putting away our, you know, our having our slippers on all day pretty much after we retired from a job. So we could uh, enjoy our drinking, is what they say. What it comes down to is the fact that we can't enjoy our drinking. It comes down to that we are a, uh, we're alcoholics, and it just does not work that way. Um, so we had to put the bottle aside and go for a, uh, you know, and work towards spirituality. If we can get spirituality in our life, because that's the only way we're going to stop. This guy kept switching jobs, switching jobs. You go one city to the next. And uh, finally, this family's just getting really sick of it. So, anyways.
He simply asked me to make a practical application of beliefs. I already held theoretically, but had forgotten all my life. I believed in a God who ruled the universe. The doctor submitted to me the idea of God as a fatherhood who would not willingly let any of his children perish. It suggested that most, if not all, of our troubles come from being completely out of touch. The idea of God and with God himself. All my life, he said, I had been doing things on my own human will as opposed to God's will. And that other only certain way for me to stop drinking was to submit my will to God and let him handle any any difficulties. I had never been I had never looked on my situation in that way. I had always felt myself very remote indeed from a self supreme being. Doc, as I shall call him here and after, was pretty positive that God's law was the law of love, and that all my resentful feelings which I had fed and cultivated with liquor were the result of either conscious or unconscious. It didn't matter which it didn't matter which disobedience to that law. Was I willing to submit my will? I said I would try to do so. When I was still at the hospital his visits were supplemented by visits from a young fellow who had been a heavy drinker for years, but had run into Doc and had tried his uh, his remedy. At that time the ex alcoholics in this town who have now grown to considerable proportions. Numbered only Doc and two other fellows. To help themselves and compare notes, they met once a week in a private house, talked things over. As soon as I came from the hospital, I went with them. The meeting was without formalities. formality. Taking love as the basic command, I discovered that my faithful attempt to practice in law of love led me to clear myself of dis- certain dishonesties. I went back to my job. No men came and we were glad to visit them. I found that new friends helped me to keep straight and the sight of every new alcoholic in the hospital was a real object lesson to me. I could see in them I could see in them myself as I had been, something I had never been able to picture before. Now I come to the hard part of my story. It would be great to say I progressed to a point of splendid fulfillment, but it wouldn't be true. My later experience points a moral derived from a hard and bitter lesson. I went along peacefully for two years after God had helped me clean, after God had helped me quit drinking. And then something happened. I was enjoying the friendship of my alcoholic fellows, getting along quite well in my work and in my own so small social circle. I had largely won back the respect of my former drink friends and confidence of my employer. I was feeling fine, too fine. Gradually, I began, gradually, I began to take the plan I was trying to follow apart. 
After all, I asked myself, did I really have to follow any plan at all to stay sober? Here I was, dry for two years and getting along all right. It wouldn't hurt if I just carried on and missed a meeting or two. If not the present in the the flesh, I'd be there in spirit, I said in an excuse. For I felt a little bit guilty about staying away. And I began to neglect my daily communication with God. Nothing happened, not immediately at any rate. Then came the thought that I could stand on my own feet again. Own feet now. When that thought came to mind, that God might have been all very well for the early days or months of my sobriety, but I didn't need him. I didn't need him now. I was gone too. I got a clear away from the life I had been attempting to lead. I was in real danger. It was just a step from the kind of thinking to the idea that my two years training in total abstinence was just what I needed to be able to handle a glass of beer. I began to taste. I became fatalistic about things and soon was drinking deliberately, knowing I'd get drunk, to stay drunk. And what would inevitably happen? My friends came to my aid. They tried to help me, but I didn't want any help. I wasn't ashamed and preferred not to see them come around. And they knew that as long as I didn't want to quit, as long as I preferred my own will instead of God's will, the remedy simply could not be applied. It is a striking thought that God never forces anyone to do his will, that his help is now ever his help is ever available, but has to be sought in all earnestness and humility. This condition lasted for months, during which time I had voluntarily entered a private institution to get straightened out. On the last occasion when I came on the fog, I asked God to help me again. Shamefaced as I was, I went back to the fellowship. They made me welcome, offered me collectively and individually all the help I might need. They treated me as though nothing had happened. And I feel that is the most telling tribute to the ephesusy of this remedy. That during my period of relapse, I still knew this remedy would work with me. That if I would let it, and I was too stubborn to admit it. That was a year ago depend upon it that I stay mighty close to what has proven me proven to be good for me I don't dare risk getting very far away and I found that in simple faith I get results by placing my life in God's hands every day by asking him to keep me a sober man for 24 hours and trying to do his will He has never let me down yet. Alright, that's the backslider. And 
I like that story a lot. I think it's very good. You know, and the thing is, is that, you know, you're not supposed to go far from your moccasins, is what they say. And, and uh, so I mean, stay close to home. Stay, stay close to home and in your meetings. And uh, otherwise, you know, otherwise we see what happens when we don't. When we think we haven't looked, that's the thing is, is that that gets me into a lot of trouble. And I've been, I've done that before, and it really backs up on me. But that's the way I, uh, I know, that's the way I learned, you know. I didn't really understand what they're talking about in the meetings when they're talking about that stuff. And, uh, reality, I knew what they're talking about, but I didn't know, I didn't really understand what they were saying and how important it was to be, to stay in the, uh, to stay on, to stay in common ground, calling my sponsor, working with others, um, Taking, taking it one day at a time, and trying to, uh, you know, be trying and remaining in a close, having a constant relationship with God, and uh, making sure that constant, you know, and, and concentrating on their relationship to do the uh, so I can become a better person and better in life, because I knew that if I just stayed, if I stayed. Uh, I stayed neutral. I was going nowhere. Now I was starting to slide backwards. But if I went, I continued to do, move it forward in my life, move forward in my spirituality by studying the big book and by being with a sponsor and by going to meetings and, you know, and that's, that would make me happy. And sometimes that's what we all need. We have to learn about doing things in a proper manner. You know, they, uh, what, what, what are cis, what, we can feel the guilt and the shame of a relapse. We can feel the guilt and the shame of not going to a meeting because we know that's what's going to happen if we don't go back to the meetings. And, uh, that's the same thing with calling our sponsor and stuff like that. So, anyways, I just want to say if nobody else has told you that they love you today, I do. And that is with the power of love. Thanks. It's Todd uh, It's Todd uh, from the uh, from the podcast, and I'm just asking for to give us a five star review and to uh, hopefully you like this podcast because I hope you give us a five star review. But also, uh, if you could give us a five star on the Twitter too. We're on Twitter. We're on uh, WordPress. So. If you get give us good reviews on that, we would really, really appreciate it. Thanks.